Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It costs a lot of money to to make art. It costs a lot of money to go to, to art school. It's so expensive. Materials are so expensive, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing. Um, so if you choose to spend your money on that kind of thing, yeah, it's possible that you will be starving. But I think that sentiment, the sentiment behind that phrase is really just um, – it's just so antiquated that, you know, you should definitely if, – if, if anybody challenges you or thinks of – things of art in that way, I mean, they should just know that, you know, some people get paid lots and lots of money to do very simple (laughs) illustrations. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the Wannabe Podcast. I'm your host, Imri. Catch a brand new 30-minute episode every Wednesday this Black History Month. The Wannabe Podcast is back for a Black History Month special, and I'm going to be sharing the stories of phenomenal Black women who are almost certainly making history with their work. This week, you're in for a treat. Ever since the Cartoonist series back in January, I've wanted this week's guest on the podcast, and it was an absolute privilege to get this episode recorded in person while she was here in London. My darlings, you are about to hear from illustrator, author, and filmmaker Vashti Harrison, the brilliant mind behind the Little Leaders Bold Women in Black History book, which coincidentally is my Black History Month sponsor for this podcast. Vashti creates the cutest and most adorable drawings of little black girls that not only captures their innocence, but their magic and strength too. My heart skips a little every single time I open the Little Leaders book. And when you pick one up for yourself or just visit her social media, you'll understand why. Today, you'll learn how Vashti maintains her incredible skill, why we should stop telling kids about starving artists and how to get your parents to support your creative endeavors. First, I had to indulge my personal curiosity. I simply had to find out about the moment Vashti realizes she was good at drawing. And here's what she had to say. I don't know if it's happened yet. What? (laughs) (laughs) I know that I like drawing. Um, I sort of believe that drawing and and all artistic skill is sort of just... um, a moving process. It never kind of ends. There's not some sort of like benchmark you reach and then someday, like eventually you're just amazing. I just think that you just got to keep going. When I was a kid, I certainly knew that other people stopped drawing probably after what we call middle school. Um, And I was the one that just kept wanting to draw, but I stopped for a long time. I went to... Um, at college, I studied um, film and and cinematography, and I went to film school. Um, so I wasn't drawing for a long time, and I certainly could identify that I wasn't very good when I started again. Um, so it's just been a a steady past couple of five years, I guess, yeah. five six years. I've just been practicing every single day to just get better. I don't know if I'm good yet. I. I would certainly say that you are very good. <laughs> I'd say you're excellent, actually. Um, I guess I've had that with a lot of uh, 
because I've spoken to a few illustrators. I had like a cartoonist special back in January um, where I spoke to someone that uh, does storyboard artists work for like Steven Universe and the Cartoon Network. Um, and then the production designer for Bojack Horseman. Um, and I think they all have like this kind of a similar story where they're like, I don't know if I'm good, but clearly like you're really up there. So I guess it's a really hard thing to measure for yourself. I think it's easier to measure if you don't draw. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some days it the stuff that I make is just so unsatisfying. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And those are the ones that I don't post. But every, every day, everybody has their off days. I think, like, it's just a it's, – it's on a sliding scale. Yeah. Is it more of a feeling? Because I've always wondered what good looks like, and I can't measure that for myself either. Um, and I don't draw because I can't – I like the idea of being arty – in that way but I can't do it um but I guess it, is it just like that feeling of that just doesn't look right I think and then you know it I think the the scale that I'm working on rather than good or bad is just um satisfied satisfaction does it does it tell the story that I wanted it to tell mm -hmm. does it um execute it in the way that I was imagining it um you know because anybody can judge it or compare one person's work to another's and believe that one is better. But, you know, I think the feeling that the artist has will always, you know, be hard to measure. And I think some of the, your, some of my favorite artists, I'm sure probably have their off days mm -hmm. and it'll be hard for me to understand that at times they think they're bad, but, um, knowing that, knowing the way that I feel about art, I think it's highly likely that, you know, it's never a clear feeling if yeah. something's good or if you're good or if you're good enough. It's yeah. just about making things and if they're doing the thing that you're hoping they do. Nice. Um, so I know that you only adopted the title of illustrator from around 2016, which is a mere two yeah. years ago. Um, at what point did you feel ready? Like, what was that process like for you? Because obviously you were in film for a long time. You said you studied film. So what was that turning point from, I'm going to be a filmmaker and an illustrator and mm -hmm. have kind of these, uh, I guess, different career titles that you've adopted and made into your own path? Yeah, I don't think I ever felt ready. Um, probably the major turning point was I lost my job working in television and I had to move home with my parents. Um, I had started this Instagram account where I was posting illustrations um, and someone wrote to me and asked me for a commission and I was shocked that someone wanted to pay me to illustrate something and so I just kept doing it. I did a few here and there and while I was looking for other work, it became clear to me that the only thing that was bringing in an income was illustration so um, I think I had applied for over a hundred jobs and it was just not working out and I I think at that point I decided I'm going to move home officially, officially with my parents and stop looking for other work and try to become a full-time illustrator. I don't think I certainly um, was comfortable with the title just yet. I felt like I was, you know, in a transition period trying to learn and I joined this organization called SCBWI, yeah. the Society of Children's Books Illustrators and Writers and Illustrators. And I entered one of their competitions and amazingly it won the prize for winning their competition was to have your drawing placed in their monthly newsletter. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the people who get the newsletter are people who are in the industry, uh, in the children's book in industry. So we're getting 
editors and art directors and an art director saw my drawing and was looking for the right person to illustrate this book and reached out to me. So um, it was very fast and I did not anticipate that it would happen that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the Cinderella story. It's the thing that everybody wants to happen, but I did not feel prepared. I was in no way ready. I didn't even think that I could illustrate children's books because they're so big. They're so massive. I mean, it's, it's 32 pages of paintings, you know, like at least 17 or 18 spreads. That's 17 or 18 full paintings that you have to do. Um, and I was just terrified. So I was thrust into this, this category. Um, so by the time the book was out, I guess I had been called an illustrator, but I don't, I had, it happened way too quickly for me to ever process it mentally. Yeah. How did you feel after then? So I I guess I'm used to having things happen really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, work in the startup space, so anything can happen. Um, and I guess the speed of things happening is exciting and it's a rush. So how did you then handle it post? Because obviously you said you didn't have time to process it as it's happening. But did you have that downtime where you're like, holy crap, I'm a New York Times bestseller. Um, how, did you, how did you deal with the speed of all of that? Um, well, fortunately, I thrive off of intense deadlines. I, I don't know if I do my best work, but I certainly get a lot of work done under, under pressure like that. Um, So I don't know if I ever sat down and processed it, but I I felt very goal-oriented. It's not that I was reluctant. I was excited. It was the thing that I wanted to do. It certainly happened faster than I anticipated, but I tried to be as pragmatic as possible and Mm -hmm. just hit the ground running, do these illustrations as best I can. And then um, in the meantime, I was looking for an agent, and amazingly, I found an agent and booked some more projects. And... um, you know, a few months later. So that all happened in June, the summer of 2016. By the fall, I had met my agent. And then um, that following February, so less than a year later, I decided that I wanted to do this kind of daily drawing challenge for myself to celebrate Black History Month in the States. Um, And um, I created this project and created these characters, the little leader characters, and was posting every single day. And it was only a couple of days in before I asked someone, asked my agent if she thought there was a potential for a book there. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, she was very excited and said, yeah, I thought I was going to ask you what you thought. Before the month was over, we had pitched the idea to a couple of different publishers and had a contract. So I had a a deal. I had a three book deal before the end of February. Nice. So it all happened super fast. I don't know if I ever processed it, but yeah, I'm still just trying to work as fast as possible and as hard as possible to make interesting content. Yeah. No, you're doing really, really well. Like (laughs) your journey is very inspirational. I can only aspire to be a New York Times bestseller. One day, (laughs) one day will come. Um, I guess, I kind of want to circle back to the being an illustrator title a little bit because I think quite a few of the people listening, especially young women listening to this show, um, they want to enter creative industries, but often we get told not to. Um, I've definitely come from the school of do a science or like a Mm -hmm. proper job. Um, And now I'm a podcaster, which actually means nothing to my family. (laughs) Like they don't know what I do. Um, But I guess, did you have any pushback from your parents because you had to move back in with them and you were like looking for jobs? Do you have any pushback on the fact that you're like, I'm going to pursue this drawing thing for a bit, mom and dad? Like, did they did they support you fully or did you have any kind of like 
yeah, that's nice, Vashti, but are you going to do yeah. something serious? <laughs> <laughs> um, amazingly, my parents are super 100% um, supportive of, of me in generally all of my artistic pursuits. Um, so the types of films that I was making in film school and afterwards are a little bit harder to, um, I guess, digest. They're, I worked mostly in experimental films, so there were a lot of times when I would make something sort of like a flicker film and my parents would just not understand what it was or why I made it. So um, something as uh, kind of more mainstream as illustration was a lot um, easier for them to to process. And, mm-hmm. and so for them, um, you know, they were excited regardless and they were certainly excited for me to be back home. Um, but I can see that it's something that they can get on board with really easily and they can see the results really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they like to track my process and they like to help me with ideas. So in many ways, it was a way for us to get, you know, kind of closer because for a long time, I could tell that they were just, they wanted to be supportive, but they just did not understand what my <laughs> movies were about. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I understand. I know that um, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to get this kind of quote unquote real job. Um, even though they would never say it, I wanted that for them. I wanted to, you know, be self-reliant and and not have to ask them for help. So, you know, when I got out of film school, I tried to get a job in the industry that would support, um, you know, that would make them proud without Mm -hmm. me, without them having to ask for it. So perhaps that's why I pushed so hard to be in this kind of um, non-creative field. I was working as a production coordinator and it's just, it just happens that that's the way it goes with TV shows is when the season is over, you get laid off and hopefully you can roll on to another show. Um, but it didn't work out for me that way. And my parents were still super, super supportive. That sounds really nice. Yeah. I wish all parents were like that. Um, would you have any advice for anyone that might be dealing with, um, I guess, parents that may not fully understand like with your with the film stuff they weren't understanding that entirely they were still being supportive but how do you have any advice for anyone that might be experiencing something similar to that like what can they say or do or should they just press on or you know curtail and just find a proper job um well I certainly think that I could have done a better job at including my parents in in the process of the things that I was making um a lot of art is embarrassing to make. So I, you know, you don't always want to share it with people, but, um, I think they were more understanding and more supportive when I could let them know what was going on and, and, and how it was working. Um, usually you can kind of determine and judge people's success by quantitative things like awards and money. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when you don't have that, I think it's just about a personal connection with them. Um, and to ask for their understanding is to include them in it in, mm-hmm. a, in a certain way. Um, I remember one of my film professors said that uh, moms are super supportive, but they're not great on film sets. And then dads will do whatever on a film set, but they'll they'll probably ruin your shot <laughs> <laughs> in general. But uh you know, I, I could have, I, I brought my mom on some shoots with me and, you know, she loved it. She didn't understand what we were doing, but yeah. she liked being involved. Um, so I don't know. I think it's different for everybody, um, for sure. But, you know, if, the, if, if that's not the case, if they're not, if they can't be involved and if, you know, if there's no kind of 
qualitative way of, of impressing upon them that it's something that will make you money. Um, I imagine the, the only thing I else that I could have done would have been to, um, just share more with them. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part, they're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, that's really good advice, though. I, don't, I think we often, as we grow up, we forget that our parents are still people that might be interested in our lives. Yeah. And we tend to hide things from them. Um, I know I don't tell her anything it's like oh I got this award or like I will say when good things happen but she will have like no uh like there'll there just wouldn't be a time where I'd just bring her into the process I think that's really nice advice actually especially when I think a lot of parents especially as the creative industries flourishing and then evolving into loads of different titles that wouldn't have existed 10 20 years ago it is actually quite nice to say hey this is what I do would you like to sit down with me and go Mm -hmm. through my process that's really beautiful advice um I guess what I'm really curious about is what your day-to-day looks like because I imagine that it would be different every day but maybe it's not do you have a routine and could you describe it um I'm the worst person for this I'm an absolute workaholic um so I have an in-home studio so that sounds fancy it's it's not the fanciest it's just that I have a room where I work and I have a room where I sleep and a room where I eat (laughs) um I've been super busy this year so I've been working on four books nice um and one of them was my second book Little Leaders Visionary Women Around the World um so I was writing and illustrating that one and then illustrating three others so when I'm mostly illustrating um I typically I try to get up as early as possible, but sometimes that sometimes it's so it's different every single day. I have no idea what my body thinks <laughs> is going on. It's I think that this is maybe 30 and who knows? Like some days I feel like I'm in my 30s and some days I feel like I'm in my 40s and some days I feel like <laughs> I'm in my 20s. It it's different all the time, but I try to get up as early as possible and um I I think I always have this kind of lull in the afternoon. So if I can hit the ground running and just get drawing really early um, and I usually take a break to answer emails in Mm -hmm. the middle of the day um, and then get back to it as soon as possible, probably about 12 or one and work till about five and then another break. And then for some reason that evening break is the worst. Um, Sometimes I may not get back to it until about um, seven or eight or nine, but oh then gosh. I'll just keep going until I can. Uh, that's not, uh, I don't recommend that for anybody. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of drawing. <laughs> I just have so much drawing to do. <laughs> um, 
you know, a smarter person would have a, a schedule that they can stick to. I sat down with my agent once and tr she tried to recommend a schedule for me. And I don't think I even stuck to it through the first day because oh, wow. she wanted me to work in, um, in three hour bursts or two hour bursts. And it was just not enough time to get anything done. So I think I work the best when I can only work, when I can work on a single project at a time. And it was just such, um, a minefield working on, on multiple books at the same time. Yeah. While I was writing the second book, I did go into the, the offices for my, my U.S. publishers, Little Brown, and they set up a little cubicle for me. And I worked. I got in at 9, and I worked all day, and I took my breaks when they did, and then I left at 5. And then I went home and did more work But oh my because I'm a crazy person. <laughs> that sounds like so much work. I guess, do you enjoy the process of actually drawing, though? Like, is it therapeutic and calming for you? Because I guess... I used to color just mm -hmm. for relaxation. Um, that's the most artsy I'll ever be is just coloring in books. Um, but I guess for someone like me, because I don't draw, that's therapy or it's therapeutic. Is it the same for you all the time or is it? does it feel like work? It changes. Um, I do try to draw something for fun almost every day and I try to keep it to... 30, 40 minutes. Sometimes it goes longer because it can get really meditative. You can just let it, once you get into this flow, it can just suck you in and, and I'll look up and it's been almost two hours. Um, but when I'm on deadline for a book that's maybe in a different type of style or a style that requires more thought, it can be like trudging through mud. It's a slow, painstaking process. So, you know, I think that um, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about um, like the creative process in her book, um, Big Magic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're all searching for this moment where it kind of feels like we're on one of those walking, moving um, walkways in the yeah. airport. And it's so good when you hit that moment, but it doesn't always happen. So you just have to um, really just appreciate the times when you do have it. Yeah, that sounds like a really nice anecdote for the creative process because I have had some really slow, slow, slow movements. Or when you're standing on that moving walkway and other people stand in front of you because oh, they don't yeah. realize you're meant to walk on them. Um, those moments too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so um, I guess, thank you for walking me through your day. Um, that's really useful to know actually for anyone that might be doing it um, or may feel like they might be doing it wrong. Because I know yeah. a lot of people like to work, 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 work and feel like that's wrong for them. But I guess if it's... I don't know. Take, your process. take solace in the fact that I'm stressed out and lonely a lot. No. <laughs> a lot of artists are. I think if uh, we don't acknowledge it, everyone will think that it's a perfect process. But work is hard. It's hard yeah. no matter what you're doing. Yeah. This actually brings me quite nicely onto the next question, which is a personal curiosity. Is there such a thing as a starving artist? Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I I think my problem with that term is this assumption that um, that there's only one type of art and mm -hmm. that there's one type of image of an artist and that's, you know, some kind of bohemian painter who, um, I don't know, makes pennies off of like selling paintings on the street or yeah. something. <laughs> that's definitely where my head went. Um, that's crazy because, you know, some art – is, I don't know, there are just so many different forms of art, which is one reason I it was really important for me to include so many um, artists in my first book, Little Leaders. You know, mm -hmm. I included a photographer and a filmmaker, as well as a painter and a sculptor. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, it's 
it costs a lot of money to to make art. It costs a lot of money to go to, to art school. It's so expensive. Materials are so expensive, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing. Um, so if you choose to spend your money on that kind of thing, yeah, it's possible that you will be starving. But I think that sentiment, the sentiment behind that phrase is really just um, – it's just so antiquated that, you know, you should definitely – if, if, if anybody challenges you or thinks of, thinks of art in that way, I mean, they should just know that, you know, some people get paid lots and lots of money to do very simple <laughs> illustrations. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, there are, uh, there are many other types of art form that, um, that pay very well. And some, you know, I don't know. I, I'm having like an imaginary conversation in my head with a person and I'm, I'm like feeling like that's a, such a silly conversation. I can't even bear to answer your, that question. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my sister says that sometimes and, and I, I have to, you know, check her on it. Like, okay, come on. Yeah. The world is much more, you know, nuanced than that. Yeah. I really wanted to dispel that myth because I think it's used to dissuade young people from pursuing art. And I, always thought like it was a we either need to reconfigure it or just get rid of it I think we should just get rid of it because people seem to ignore things like graphic design every single thing you touch and look at requires someone to design it industrial design and product design like those are artists and yeah I mean like it's whatever I can't even (laughs) feel like I hit a nerve. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I can't no, even be uh, I can't even be articulate about it because it's such a silly thing, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we're here to bust myths and stereotypes all day. Daily drawing, you still do that. So you draw almost every day for fun. Mm-hmm. Um what do you draw? Usually usually I kind of just flip through magazines or, you know, search through the internet for something that is different from what I drew the day before um, or is just inspiring. A lot of times I'll have like dreams or like an image will come to me and I'll think, oh, wow, I want to draw that. And then I never can. So I try to find images that remind me of that. Yeah. Um, I do like to practice things. There are lots of drawings I never post on the internet. So I really hate drawing hands. I'll probably always hate drawing hands. So sometimes I force myself to draw about like 30 hands in in 30 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's typically just something for fun. And my favorite go-to is pretty much girls in kind of magical spaces. That and it's cute. typically in nature. Um, that's my happy place. And sometimes I just need to, to not have to think for a second. So I do end up going to those places when I draw. Nice. So you haven't just gone wild and done like a, a tank in like super technical straight lines architecturally no not until not until I have to do like a world war ii book and (laughs) hopefully that won't be my book (laughs) um but yeah I probably should be practicing things like that but sometimes you just want to do something that makes you happy and I'm glad that drawing tanks makes some people happy because we need those artists yeah but that's not me yeah fair enough um, I guess, do you have any resources that you use when you're improving your drawing, especially when you started out in the beginning and you realized like, hey, I haven't done this for a while and it's not great. Mm-hmm. Was there anywhere you went or were there any books or podcasts or resources that you just used to kind of improve and like technically upskill? I think in terms of skill, 
the, the best advice, advice I have is for, is to just practice. I mean, I just look for pictures on the internet or in magazines and just try to draw things that I don't typically draw. Usually not tanks, but you know, things <laughs> that are hard for me. Um, I think like, um, I think Walt Stanchfield, the, the like Disney animator and professor, he, um, he said that each one of us has like 10,000 bad drawings in us. So, um, I think in order to feel like you're getting quote unquote good, you have to just practice, 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 just draw the things that, you know, are challenging for you and the things that you love to do, just do it over and over again. Um, but in terms of my personal career and feeling confident enough to pursue it, I, I like to listen to the other the stories of other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I listen to um, – there's this podcast from the Oatly Academy. Um, he inter- They interview a lot of Disney artists and animators. Um, there's one called Stories Unbound where you um, hear the stories of authors and illustrators. Um SCBWI has a podcast and I listen to all of the stories of, of authors and illustrators. I try to find people who, whose career paths I wanted to emulate yep. and listen to their stories or read their stories. And then I really liked, um, again, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Create um, Big Magic. Um, I think it's called, the subtitle is Creative Living Beyond Fear. That nice. was a good one. And um, in terms of just understanding of the industry, I look at books all the time. I look at what's selling and what's popular and what kids really like. So I think just start there. And then if you've done all of that, then you can email me and I'll see what else I can find for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Um, I guess finally, I just want to know what the most frustrating part of your, of what you do is, and also what the most rewarding part Hmm. is. Well, I'd say the most rewarding part is seeing young people with my books um, and, you know, when they they tell me that they have a favorite person that they learned about in the book or um, sometimes people will post on social media that their kid knew who someone on television was because they read about her oh, in my cute. book. Um, but the most frustrating part is probably um, editing. I don't think I've ever told a short story in my life, which you may have understood through this podcast. I I have, I feel like every part of the story is important. Every detail is important. So Mm -hmm. writing the stories um, in such a short format, it's less than 300 words, was so difficult because I was so inspired by the stories of the people in the book. And who am I to say that this is, this doesn't make it into the final cut. Um, So I just... I hope that people and children and readers are just inspired by the stories enough to um, pursue more research afterwards if 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 they their interests are peak peaked. Awesome! Thank you so much, Vashti. This has been such a treat. Thank you. Follow Vashti on Twitter and Instagram at Vashti Harrison. That's V A S H T I H A R R I S O N. Pick up a copy of Little Leaders on Amazon or at your local bookshop. Be sure to share this podcast with a friend in need of some direction. And you can do this by tagging them and at Wannabe Podcasts on both Twitter and Instagram. For detailed show notes, photos, freebies and top quotes from this episode, visit wannabepodcasts.com. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.